listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofaro, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. When the love of Leslie's life, her husband Steve, died of cancer four and a half years ago, she was undone. Her world and the world of their six-year-old daughter Emily screeched to a halt. But the rest of the world, as it does, just kept spinning. In this halted place, Leslie focused on doing everything she could to support Emily. She tried to help her understand what it meant that her daddy wasn't coming back. Friends and family wanted to help, but they didn't know what to do, and Leslie didn't know what to tell them. In the end, what she most needed were people who could be with her in the sadness. People who could be with her in the confusion and the overwhelming heartbreak and disorientation. Four and a half years later, Leslie decided to use her experience to help employers and to help friends and family figure out ways to tangibly support those in grief. As a business coach, she works with companies to create effective policies around grief and bereavement to go beyond the three days of bereavement leave. As an entrepreneur, she launched a new company. It's called Grief Warrior, and it's a line of gift boxes designed for those in grief. Every item in the boxes is inspired by what she most needed when her husband Steve died. Leslie, it's so fun to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Jana. It's really fun to be here. I've been doing so many long distance recordings lately that it feels really magical to like see a face. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. It's fun to be in person with you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today and hearing about more about you and your story and also about your new business venture, Grief Warrior. And that venture is really rooted in your own experience with grief, the grief after your husband died a little over four and a half years ago. In this moment, what do you most want the world to know about him? Steve was just a really kind man. He was salt of the earth. He was our rock. He was the soul of our family in a lot of ways. We were a three-legged stool with him. (laughs) And he was a really good man. He taught high school, and his kids just loved him. I had more kids cry on my shoulder at his memorial service because they really loved interacting with him. He taught politics and history, so I still get emails from them saying, I wish I could talk to Mr. Barber right now, (laughs) and I respond, me too. Mm. (laughs) He's just a really good, good person, and losing him, we lost our traction on the three-legged stool. It was like we were a two-legged stool face planning. You know, you really realize how much that person is part of every single day and everything that you do. I love that imagery of the stool. And it sounds like he was a leg and also maybe the seat and then the stabilizing pieces that are there as well. And how when that one of those legs goes, when it's been such a stabilizing force, how the whole system has to re-navigate. How do I get back up off the floor? 
Yes. Emily and I, Emily was six when he died and just shy of seven. And she was at an age where it was really hard to navigate her feelings and, or, or at least it was hard to, to tell me what the feelings were. So there was a lot of face planning between the two of us, <laughs> raging, screaming, crying, missing each other, trying to find each other, trying to figure out how we work without daddy. Mm. I think I grieved Emily's daddy for several years after he died and then finally started to grieve my husband. That's such a a vital point to make that Mm. oftentimes we hear someone dies and we think you're grieving your husband and your daughter's grieving her father. But for you to be grieving her father as well and the role that he played in that way in your life. Absolutely. And maybe that was an age thing. She was because she was just shy of seven, he was such a huge part, and it was such an uh, overwhelming experience for her and for me. But I was so worried about her, mm. I think, and he was so worried about her because he died of cancer. We had a little bit of time to process his concerns and his worries. And so I I really felt like I was yeah grieving her daddy for so long. And then finally woke up one day after about two years and realized, Emily is okay. It's time to start grieving my husband. And did those different, those two griefs, that's really hard to say, two mm-hmm. griefs, mm-hmm. <laughs> did they look and feel different from one another? They did. They. It was really different. It was navigating Emily's heartbreak over missing her dad and not understanding why her dad and wishing everyone's dad was gone and wanting to understand why cancer, why couldn't the doctors fix him? So it was different from the standpoint that I I felt like I so badly wanted to take her pain away. I would have given anything to take that away. I think for a while I was even trying to fix it. She taught me that lesson that I can't fix it. I couldn't fix it for her. I would have if it were humanly possible. And so I needed to give myself grace as well as I started to process that, you know, my partner, the love of my life was no longer here and that my life was not going to be what I thought it would be. It felt different from that perspective, although now that I'm talking about it, they actually felt feel kind of similar from the standpoint that Emily was asking all the same questions mm-hmm. that I wanted answered. Um, she was just asking them about her daddy, and I was asking them about my husband. So ultimately, maybe they were pretty similar, <laughs> Jana. <laughs> you know, when people come and, you know, they want us to present about grief, and people are like, well, okay, well, how do three- to five-year-olds grieve, and how do six- to 12-year-olds grieve, and how do teens grieve, and how do adults grieve? I'm like, all the same way. Yeah. It just sometimes has different words and different expressions. But three to five-year-old kids are struggling with the same questions that adults are, even though, you know, a three to five-year-old may truly not understand that someone dies and they don't come back. Their brains are just getting to that point of understanding. But adults also struggle with, how could this person die and not come back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for, for months, I felt Steve walking in the front door. And I felt him walking down the hallway and in my bed next to me. And then I'd wake up and realize, no, that's Emily. 
but I had wired to him and I had a massage therapist say at one point that I was rewiring, um, that our bodies get very used to that person who we're partnered with and we know their footprints and we know how they talk and how they walk and we can finish their sentences. And I was really rewiring to not having him there. It was one of the most meaningful metaphors were wounded warriors who lost an arm, but still feel the arm for years. And I, I felt that way. I felt like I could still feel Steve and I would still reach for my phone to call him, to let him know I was going to be late, but the phone was disconnected. Yeah. Those patterns are so ingrained really ingrained. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time. And even to, even today, four and a half years later, I sometimes still reach for my phone to call him. And that accepting of the unacceptable, I think was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And from that perspective of trying to accept the unacceptable, you know, as adults, we have access to a lot more language and a lot more experience and emotional awareness and Emily, just about to turn seven, how did you talk with her and how did you and Steve talk with her about his illness and how did you talk with her about his death? Really openly, as openly as we could, talk to her about cancer, talk to her about how hard the doctors were working, but that we only had today with daddy. That was it. And my mantra for that period of time was that I could engage a therapist in the future to help her process her memories. I could not engage a therapist in the future to help her create memories. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted her to see everything and to experience everything that she was willing to experience. She struggled going to the hospital when he was there, but mostly I just wanted her to feel like she could be a part of it. And she was, she was there when he died, she wanted to see his body after he died. She was curious. She was thoughtful. In fact, that Steve died at 345 in the morning. And after he died, she actually went back to sleep. And when she woke up, she said, Mommy, I had a nightmare that Daddy died. And I had to say, Lovey, he did. Daddy died last night. You were there. And she burst into tears. And then she went and got a notebook and some uh, pencils. And she wrote on a whole bunch of pieces of paper. And then she ran straight out the front door. And I thought, what in the world is she doing? She was throwing these pieces of paper on our neighbor's lawns. It said, my daddy died. And it gave our address. And it was the one of the most profound moments for me that this little person who didn't have the language to say her heart was broken, but knew that her world in a way had stopped wanted to tell the whole rest of the world that was still moving that hers had stopped. I'm wondering how many of our listeners out there are taking notes on like, hmm, I kind of wish I had gone around and written a bunch of notes and plastered them on people's lawns or people's windshields to be like, this amazingly devastating, significant event has just happened and crashed my world. I wanted you to know. I wanted the world to know. And the world keeps going even when ours has screeched to a halt. And that is awful. <laughs> it's just awful. It's not fair. I wanted everyone's world to stop. 
and, and with the world and how it responds or doesn't respond, what were the ways in which your family and your community like tried to show up, did show up, didn't show up? What was helpful? What wasn't helpful? In my life, there are doers and there are beers. And when Steve was sick, the doers were amazing. They showed up with so much food and love and support, and they were there and they could do. After Steve died and I got so sad, there were really only a few people who could truly be with that sadness and bear witness to my pain. Watch me walk in circles, watch me fall apart, watch me lie in the fetal position in the back of the closet, which was my most comfortable place to be. It was really hard. And it was mostly people in my life who'd had a significant death in their family, lost a child or lost a parent young or had some sort of significant death. I really struggled. And where we used to live, there was another grieving children center. And Emily and I went to a session about two months after Steve died. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that I would still be sad and angry and anxious in a year or two. I just couldn't. And so like I, you walked in and there were people talking about it's about been two years, grief. it's been three years. Totally. And looking back, it's completely normal. And it was completely my experience here at the Dougie Center that that, that was absolutely how I was going to be feeling. But at that point, I just couldn't do it. And so I ended up getting a grief counselor and I had my my general therapist as well. And they carried me. They helped me realize that I wasn't crazy, even though I felt like I was losing my mind. They helped me realize that this was normal, that I'd never had a significant death before. I thought I was literally losing my mind. I was so anxious. I was having three to four panic attacks a day. I was, you know, struggling. I couldn't sleep. And so, of course, that made everything worse. My grief counselor, my therapist really carried me until we moved to Portland and I was able to, to come here to the Dougie Center. And then a year in, I was able, for me, I was able to find other people, other widows and widowers. I could finish their sentences and they could finish mine. And I knew I'd found my people. It was a long journey to find the right kind of support because your support really changes. It changes what you, what you need really changed for me, I should say. That sometimes seems to be one of the really almost destabilizing realizations in grief is that they're adults, someone in their life dies, they have well-established routines for attending to their thoughts and emotions, and those habits and patterns don't work, and having to find new ways to acclimate and accommodate and adjust. Without a doubt, as a high-functioning, emotionally intelligent person, I thought I could handle it. I thought... I'll be able to navigate this. I was so wrong. Grief literally took me like a tsunami. It was, I had those images of the tsunami in Japan in my brain as what my brain looked like. Everything was upside down. Everything was backwards. The world just felt like it didn't make sense anymore. I couldn't figure out for myself how to sort that out all on my own. I needed help. And my grief counselor and therapist were able to help me. Friends and family tried. They didn't always know how to just be with me. They wanted to fix me, much in the same way I wanted to fix Emily, 
right? I wanted to fix her pain and take that away. That's how a little bit of how we're taught in this culture. I'll take it away for you, right? I had friends come and suggest I exercise because I wasn't working. Like I wasn't showering. There's no way I was going to exercise. <laughs> I wasn't showering. And I, you know, I had other friends who wanted to know when the grief was going to be done when I was moving on. And that never sat right with me. But they did it with with love in their heart. They just didn't necessarily know what to say. With your work with your counselor and your therapist, because you mentioned not sleeping, not showering, Mm -hmm. some of those basic day-to-day life functioning that for a lot of folks become impossible. You know, I, your image of the tsunami, imagining like, yeah, grief is like the bottom of the ocean is now on the mountain. So yes. what do we make, how do we do this? Were there some specific things that you discovered for yourself that seemed to help with regulating your sleep or being able to do those day-to-day life tasks? Yes, I found that when I could connect with someone who could acknowledge my grief, who could hear me and let me just talk, who could um, bear witness to the pain. And I didn't feel like something was wrong with me in that moment. I was really connecting with someone. That made a huge difference. I also found a great acupuncturist and chiropractor to help with my physical pain. A lot of why I wasn't sleeping was because I was in so much physical pain. This back of my heart was absolutely in knots. And I had almost convinced myself that I should have that kind of pain because Steve was dead. When you get there because of a lack of sleep and because, you know, you you think this pain must be connected to his pain, um, then it just is a bad cycle. And so I found I had a wonderful doctor who sent me to an acupuncturist and a chiropractor, and that made a huge amount of difference in being able to just lie and sleep. That acknowledgement, I think, is really, really critical. Finding someone, even just one person, who truly gets where you are, for me, calmed my mind enough, calmed the tsunami enough so that I could rest and feel a little bit more peace. So there's showering, Mm -hmm. there's sleeping, (laughs) there's things like making Emily's breakfast, getting her to school, cleaning the house, things like that. Then there's also the thing we do so that we have enough money to do all those other things, work. Uh, What was your experience with working? Right. Um, I worked for a really good company that had a lot of compassion for my situation. My manager was really compassionate. And although the company only offered three days of bereavement leave, my manager and a dear friend helped find a vacation donation policy that enabled my colleagues to donate vacation to me and then enabled me to take a couple of months off after Steve died while getting paid, while keeping my health insurance, which was obviously a big, a big focus for me. I was really grateful for that time to Well, basically walk in circles. I mean, that's really (laughs) how I processed is just walking in circles again and again. It had happened so fast, even been sick for five months. And I felt like the wind had just been pulled out, you know, out of the room, like the rug had been pulled out from under us. It happened so quickly. And I felt like I almost needed to physically unwind. That was part of the challenge of being able to do day-to-day things. You're right. 
as a mom, I could take care of Emily. And there was some assumption that because I could take care of Emily, that I was fine. I could smile. That did not mean that I was fine in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> not but there, a good indicator. <laughs> exactly. But there is this assumption that if I can actually drive her to school or make her lunch, that I'm okay. And I really wasn't. Going back to work after about three months, even to a company and a manager that was very loving, it worried me so much. I was so afraid I'd just cry nonstop or that I would you know, throw my hands up and say, why do you people even care about this? There are people dying from cancer, don't you know? And I was just so worried that I wouldn't make any sense or make any headway in my work. I advocated for myself by asking for an office with a closed door. And I also asked to be able to work from home two days a week. Now, I've privileged to be able to do that. But if any listener can, you know, can get the courage to ask for what they need, when they go back to work, most companies are going to want to accommodate you, at least try their best. Yeah, that's a great point about, you know, sort of the privilege of being able to do that and that so mm-hmm. many folks are working in environments that hourly wage, not accommodating. If you miss more than one more day of work, you're losing your job, not having help with childcare, all of those things. And so recognizing that we're talking about kind of maybe a limited scope of, mm-hmm. of folks who have access to that. Absolutely recognizing that and challenging companies to change the way they think about grief. Companies lose in this country almost $100 billion annually from grief-related losses, lost productivity, absenteeism, right? Three days. I, my husband died on Sunday. I would have been expected back at work on Thursday. That's not realistic. And workplace injuries, which can often happen in an environment that may not be safe for someone who doesn't feel 100% their best, who has a tsunami going on in their brain. If companies could recognize that, they might see the loyalty that they will get by taking care of somebody in the worst moment of their life. And that should be the same for an hourly employee or the CEO. You should have no difference. And right now, We're not seeing equity necessarily in the way that grief is handled. It's often handled as what does your manager want to make happen or what resources does your manager have? I will say it's better than it was maybe a few years ago, but we have a long way to go in terms of really supporting people in a death. I'd like to see companies care about their employees from birth, right? Maternity and paternity leave, adoption, all of those kinds of services all the way to a death in their family. We should be taking care of our employees at both of those. And having it be like on a systemic level, not just this maybe one-off that you have a particularly supportive manager versus a coworker has a manager who's not as responsive and you can have really a lot of disparity even in the same department. And that happens all the time. I saw it at the company I worked at um, when another friend um, lost her husband, and she's having a very different experience than I did simply because of a very different manager. So those equities are not happening when it comes to grief. They should be. We're all going to experience it. We should be supported by the people we spend every day with. And I can't think of any way that would create more loyalty and more affection for a company than to take care of somebody in their worst moment of their lives. It certainly did for me. Yeah. And just to have that, if there was like a 
standard policy that could then get personalized because, Mm -hmm. as we know, grief is so unique. And so there may be someone who wants to come back to work, doesn't want to take three months off, needs that routine and that expectation. Like that's helpful for them. But to know that the options there, if they do need to take more time off. Absolutely. I've been racking my brain, Jana, on why companies are losing so much money in this country around this topic and not addressing it. And the only thing I can come up with is that we just haven't all been given the tools yet to understand grief as something that's not scary. Grief is what happens when you love someone ferociously and then they die. It makes sense. And I don't know about you, but when I die, I want people to grieve me. I want people to be sad. I want people to feel like their life has changed because of knowing me and because I'm no longer a part of this world. So when it comes to our culture and understanding grief as as love and as something that we can all be a part of and bear witness to and embrace, I think that companies will start to really change the way they think about it. Yeah, and keeping in mind that grief is love and and sometimes grief is frustration and sometimes grief is regret and sometimes grief is guilt. And I'm you know imagining that maybe there's a manager out there that's empowered to offer their employee time off or support. Mm-hmm. And if they knew that that person had a really contentious or distant relationship with the person who died, there can be an expectation of like, oh, well, your tsunami is probably more like just a tiny windstorm than this person that I know is, you know, was so close with their parent who just died and helping people understand that grief's going to show up the way it shows up, regardless of the quote unquote quality of the relationship that they had. Yeah, agreed. Understanding that as a company and being able to support your employees when they need it, not when it's convenient for you, but giving them that kind of flexibility is critical. I was so stunned when literally hundreds of people I worked with came and and donated vacation time to me anonymously. I didn't know who they were. So when you're talking about support, you think of people showing up in front of your face. These were people literally in the shadows. I didn't even know their names. And they were showing me that they care about me. Being able to do that for other people at, at a company or an organization where you feel like you belong until a death, and then you feel like you're on a different planet. Being able to show up that way is so good for companies and it's so good for humans. And so it can be a win-win for both. And if companies don't know how to do that, reach out to me. That's what I do. And that's what my life's work will be is to try to help other people and become a voice to sort out how do we do this for your company? How do we make it work for you and the people who work for you? I'm thinking a little bit more about that idea of maybe there's a company and you don't know who has a tsunami going on necessarily as we talk about the tsunami of grief and that maybe folks are not able to get the support they need because people may not know because somebody might come back to work and not even share that their grandmother that they were super close with or their uncle that they were not super close with died over the weekend and I've heard some people say gosh I just wish that I could like wear a name tag or something that would signal to the world I'm grieving. I have a grief tsunami going on. How was that wish a part of your experience? After Steve died, I could not put colors on. And I was like a fuchsia and chartreuse kind of gal. (laughs) And I've never seen you wear fuchsia or chartreuse. (laughs) Yes. I have only worn black and gray and 
today I'm wearing an olive color. This is really breaking out for me, Jana, <laughs> as you know. Um, after Steve died, I wanted my outsides to match my insides. That was very real for me. And it was super moving to me when I actually wrote a Caring Bridge post at one point about morning clothes and how I wish that morning clothes were a possibility. Because when I wore all black, people thought I was trying to be slimming or hip, right? Nobody looked at me and said she must be in mourning. There was no way I would know. There's no way to look at me and see that my heart was broken. And so over time, I started to really think about and talk about how can we show the world that we are in mourning, that we need to be you know, people to be gentle with us at that uber cheery receptionist at the doctor's office should not ask me if I'm having a super day, (laughs) because it's going to take everything in my being to not bite her head off or snap or something. And then I'm going to feel like a complete jerk. Then all of my energy's gone. And then I'm back in bed. Like it's just a terrible hamster wheel. (laughs) And so I developed a little badge. It's like a magnetic badge. And it says in mourning on it. And it's actually what helped me launch the idea for Grief Warrior was trying to f- come up with something that would show the world that I was in mourning and maybe my spirits are dampened. And it wasn't just for the world. It was also for me. I needed to give myself grace that if I'm cranky every once in a while, it might actually be for a good reason. I might actually be a little mad at the world and at the universe for taking Steve. And so sometimes I will say I put it inside my shirt as a way to remind my heart that I'm in mourning and that it's okay, that sometimes that's just the day. That's just how it is. Tell us a little bit more about Grief Warrior, your new business venture. Like what's included in it? What's the idea behind it? And how can people find out more about it? So Grief Warrior really came out of the idea that I'd like to add my voice to the conversation already happening about changing the way we think about grief. I wanted to be one more voice to that symphony. I also noticed that people always wanted to do something right after Steve died. And we generally believe that it's the thought that counts. So mostly people send flowers. What I noticed for myself about flowers, flowers are already dead by the time they're coming. They're dying by the time they're sent to you. And when you receive flowers, they're beautiful for a few moments. And then they die even more. And then they smell. And then you have to do something about them. I wasn't showering. Like it, it was unlikely anything was going to be done about flowers. And so they would just sit in my house and they'd be another dead thing that I couldn't keep alive. And that was awful. And it was not the thought that the person who sent me wanted. And so I brought all those ideas together and developed the Grief Warrior gift box. It's a line of gift boxes So you can send one to yourself, or if you are struggling to find the right words or want to do something for someone who's in grief, you can send them the Grief Warrior gift box, and it has helpful, useful healing products. Everything in there is functional. Every item in there from a ways to help notepad, to answer that question of how can I be helpful, to a journal to write stories and to write about your grief, to essential oils blend uh, roll-on that addresses grief and anxiety. We also have the in-morning badge that I mentioned earlier. And then we have some fun, uh, uh, fun's maybe not the right word, but some temporary tattoos called uh, that say keep going. 
that are a way to remind yourself to put one foot in front of the other. And so grief warrior, the grief warrior box is meant to just tell people, I acknowledge you, I acknowledge your pain. I see that this is hard and I want to do something to help with your healing. The, the ways to help notepad, uh, it really touched me when I saw it in the box that you sent to me because a, a good friend of mine, Aiden, she was dealing with a brain tumor for the last four years and recently died. And when she would send her updates, it wasn't CaringBridge, some other website where she was doing that, she would include at the end of it a short list of these are the things that are helpful, these are the things that are not helpful. And I was so grateful to her for sharing that with her community so she could, one, set her own limits for what was going to be most supportive. But she taught us so much. <laughs> it was like a free education and how to show up and how to like really give somebody what they're needing and recognizing that what's not helpful for her may actually be helpful for someone else. So that little, that notepad is so fantastic. Thank you. And I love that your friend did that. When people asked me how they could help me, I almost always said, you can bring my husband back to life. That didn't always go over very well. <laughs> I'm not sure people asked me a second time. Um, of course they couldn't do that. But I did feel a little bit like if you can't do that, then you're no good to me, which, you know, is is not a great, that didn't feel great to me. But I didn't have the energy to come up with a list. And so my hope is that I'm giving people ideas who are not as forthright as your friend to say, hey, this is what I need. And it wasn't until somebody said to me that when I accept the help of others, I'm actually giving them a gift to be able to help me. So it's a win-win. When my friend Kat told me that, I thought, oh, okay, I can, I can excel at this. <laughs> and then I got really good at asking for help. And I need it. When you're parenting alone, when you're parenting as an only parent, you need all the help you can get. So I'm good at asking for help now. I hope that the Ways to Help Notepad will help somebody else with some ideas. Well, I'll say I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing in the world now. I still wish you never had to be doing this work because that would have changed how things were in the past for you. But I'm grateful for this offering that you have. And listeners, I'll put in the show notes how you can get directly to the Grief Warrior website so that you can check out the boxes and order one for yourself or for someone else in your life. And, and Leslie, thank you for sharing your story today and, and talking with me. Thank you, Jana. And thank you so much for Dougie Center and everything you do here. And listeners out there, we're grateful for you, because if you were not out there listening, we would just be talking to ourselves. So we're glad you're out there to tune in. If you um, are new to our show, we have lots of episodes. You can find them on our website, or you can get them in Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you happen to be listening right now. And a lot of our episodes have come out of emails from people in the audience who say, here's this great person who would be a good guest, or I know this book that's really fantastic. You should try to talk to the author. So if you have an idea, please send it our way, help at Dougie.org. And we'd love for more people to have access to these conversations. So if you are a listener and you enjoy the show, you can help us out by giving us a rating and a review in iTunes or that little app, uh, Apple podcast app that's on your phone. That would be fantastic. And as many of you know, we are produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children here in Portland, Oregon. We're a nonprofit organization, 100% community funded. So if you feel like being part of that support, you can help us out at our website, dougy.org. Just go to the Grief Out Loud page. There's a blue donate button. You can click there and donate any amount they feel comfortable with. 
So thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.